what if? What if the struggle isn't real? What if everything you've been told is impossible is actually deliciously feasible? What if you could work anywhere, travel, find your purpose, all while growing your wealth and not spending it? Welcome to the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker, and, and my job here is to share how normal people have self-designed their lives, relationships, jobs, and bodies. The question to ask yourself is simply this. What if it was easy? Have you ever sat across from someone and literally just known you instantly wanted to dive deeper into the conversation? They had you hanging on every word. That was my experience the first time I met Tim Dyer and his brother, twin, and business partner, Dave Dyer, as well. Tim is the chief storyteller and co-founder of Manifesto Agency, which is one of Inc. 5000's fastest-growing businesses and the number seven fastest-growing ad company in the game. And Tim is just one of my favorite kinds of humans, a status quo disruptor. He's built his life around the power of the word and of a story to not only sway someone, but to sway someone towards something that means something, that has real purpose and value. And that's why he created his business. He has spearheaded some of the ad campaigns for sports, entertainment, music, retail, lifestyle that have streamed into all of our homes, televisions, laptops, and all of our consciousness from, you know, one of the most memorable for me was his rebranding of Axe to he actually came on to build Summit at Sea, one of my favorite conferences, which was coined the Davos of Generation Y by Forbes magazine. So on this podcast, you'll hear why he's been able to have his companies grow so wildly, what he does when he gets in a creative funk, how these two guys started their business with no money, no clients, and in a coffee shop. And if you're searching for how to define your brand, your business, yourself, how to tell a story and get heard, or how to turn business into something that matters too, this podcast is for you. I love the part where he talks about um, drifting off of the controversial conversation, which is so prevalent right now and interesting given where we're at in a political spectrum. And I also love his comments on how he visualizes and maps out his creative landscape. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tim as much as I did. I have a feeling you're going to. So hello there, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker, and I'm kind of excited today. I'm going to start this one off a little bit differently. You know, the gig here is, is basically we find humans just like you and I who are doing something pretty incredible with their lives, who are given maybe many of the same things you and I were, um, but have decided to do something that is uniquely driven by whatever is inside of them in their day-to-day. So I want to read you the manifesto that is the foundation of uh, our guest's company. His name's Tim Dyer, and we're going to dig in to the company that he and his brother Dave Dyer built um, that is actually called, shouldn't surprise us too much, Manifesto. But I thought this was so poignant and so powerful as to what they stand for. So before we talk about all the things you just heard in the intro that Dave and Tim have been doing and all the ways that you can take their ideas and apply them to your business, I think it's really interesting to hear the foundation on which this business was built. And the manifesto goes something like this. We are the fearless ones, the why nots in a world of cannots. We believe in lightning strikes, a belief that puts insights and stories above artifice and vanity. We believe in the tin man's heart 
soulless brands are only meaningful when giving a fleshy, beating heart. We believe in tilting at windmills. Sometimes the best causes are those only the dreamers, the darers, and the blind can see. We believe in care over commerce, that when you give a damn, you'll inspire others to do the same. We believe in life lived deliberately. Most men go to their graves with their songs still in them. We, make, we will make our finite lives and work count, each informing the other and both be the better for it. We believe in the immutable power of story and those who propel it. We believe brands were meant to stand for something more. Such a powerful message, Tim, and really kind of amazing. When you see their website at www.manifesto.com, you'll see that it's, it's portrayed, you know, quite in the beginning there. And so, Tim, I'm really excited to dig into that, to you, to the how, to the why, to the what of your business. So thank you so much for being here. Totally. And Cody, thanks you so much for, for having me on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's get into um, at least where it started when I first met you. I mean, I recall sitting at uh, Summit at Sea, which I think maybe you coined the term of being a little bit like the Davos of Gen Y. Um, and, and I remember sitting across from you at um, the breakfast table and that you were actually part of the infancy of, of you know, maybe one of the most impactful social entrepreneurship change events out there. So I, I kind of want to know two things with this first question. First, like, tell me like Tim's origin story, not just manifestos. Um, where did you kind of start out? And then how did you wrap that around to get to Summit? Uh, and then we'll get to how did you start your very own company manifesto? Cool, cool. Okay. Well, you know, just to, to kind of uh, dig into my own origin story, um, being a twin was a huge part of that, of course. Uh, and so in, the, in that world, uh, there was always, you know, as much as you face this, this, this world individually, the, the twinship aspect of life informed many things and ultimately kind of manifested in, in us kind of creating an agency together. But backing up a few steps, um, the, the career path that I, that I chose actually I'll just say a lot of it started apparently back in the day at a library where my dad took my brother and myself to the library to choose out our future career. And apparently I chose, uh, out, of, out of the back of a book, chose this account executive role at an advertising agency because it, it, it wow. infused this idea of, of you know, caring for people or the people relationships, uh, stewarding ideas, things like that. Um, I, didn't, I had no idea what I was kind of getting, getting set up for. Totally forgot that even happened. Uh, but I had a strong art background, strong, strong kind of uh, conceptual mind from, from the get-go. Um, not so much as a fine artist, but as, as one who would sort of be, uh, be a bit of a dreamer, I guess you could say, and always, always looking for connections perhaps where other people didn't see it. So um, that began to leverage into, into college in University of Missouri. So the, the short path there was uh, journalism and then to focus uh, for a few years in the, in the world of sports entertainment marketing, um, where it just kind of drank from the fire hose very quickly and I got really good at, at basically being able to take a complex challenge on a brand that's moving quickly, get under the hood of that brand really fast, understand kind of like what the DNA is, what their current, say, sports sponsorship or even marketing uh, focus would be, and then to be able to leverage that into a new space for them, but, but quickly. And we're talking a matter of days to get deep into a brand. And so um, it allowed me kind of to outpace some people, but also to become um, really well known for being able to hop into a brand quickly and interpret it and, and uh, extend that into new places. Um, and that ultimately, kind of my, my own origin story as that uh, became a thing. One of the agencies that I uh, 
ended up working at, the first day was actually a huge, um, it was a huge challenge for me in some ways because we, the, the, the clients I had to work on were, were soulless brands from the very get-go. And I kind of joked that I'd sold my soul to Satan that day. Um, um, but in reality, I spent the rest of my career there working on some great brands and, and renewing that. But what it did give me eyes to see was the potential of a future um, where you had the, the chance to pick and choose brands that aligned with your, your ethos. Um, so all that work, um, I will say, one of the things I became most known for was my work with, with Axe. And you're probably familiar with, you know, with all the, every, every mom of like a 14 year old or 15 year old today like curses me for, for the, the time that I spent on it because their boys bathe in, in uh, Axe body spray or Axe shower or Axe hair. But, uh, I had a chance to kind of clean up that brand, make it, you know, turn it from kind of a bit of a raunchy brand into one at the time that was much more clever. Um, but I say some of that work got me noticed um, uh, by some folks from the Summit team. And uh, as I kind of bring this into the full Summit story, got a random phone call one day and, uh, and was found myself on a plane to Miami uh, for a multi-day interview, you know, in a house with, with a bunch of handsome looking people. Uh, right, <laughs> definitely the law. So that's the, that's the um, you know, that's the, the kind of the beginnings of that story. Um, Interesting. Then, yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll quickly sum it up with this. Um, it was a cool opportunity just to kind of, all I did was it really brought my, my idea books with me and kind of walking through how I think through things conceptually, experientially. Um, and, and we began to look at the infancy of the, of the, the summit brand as a whole and, and see that they were just leveraging it into this new territory um, of scale and notoriety um, and getting the traction with, with even other brands that they wanted to kind of connect with and create cool experiences with them. And talk to, you know, for those people who don't know what Summit is, which we can link in the show notes, um, talk to, how would you explain it? I mean, you were there at, at kind of creating how to define it. So how would you explain Summit to somebody who isn't familiar with it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say Summit is, is a, um, it's kind of an entrepreneurship focused uh, community that really f focuses on friendship first, business second. And so it gathers together the, the, the doers and dreamers of Gen Y um, into catalyzing events that help them propel forward business and, and, and frankly, initiatives across the world, but through this lens of friendship. So that you're not just, you know, you're not just flashing business cards and um, you actually, you, the, the kinds of experiences that you engage in together reach down to the soul level. They're highly experiential. Um, and so they're, they're meant to, to kind of elicit the full self and bring, you know, in, in entirely vulnerable people together in some ways uh, so that they, they can, form, you know, really cool bonds of friendship. So the kind of topics during these uh, events they put on are, are, are deep, you know, they're not surface level. They're, they're not really about marketing per se. Many of them deal with spirituality or deal with, um, you know, social justice um, uh, or, or it might be entertainment through the lens of social justice. So, um, but uh, they're, you know, a handful of years old now and, um, and have really begun to, to scale as a, as a highly impactful community across the world with pockets of influence in, you know, uh, San Francisco, LA, Chicago, New York, um, uh, Israel, you know, um, and a handful of places around the globe as well. Yeah, it's a beautiful way to, dis to explain it about friendship first. And, and I was astounded. Obviously, I go to a lot of conferences in my businesses too, and typically I don't look forward to them usually, if I'm pretty honest. And at Summit, I recall uh, you, Dave, and I sitting in a breakout session about um, 
well, really opposing humanity coming together again, right after the election, which a lot of people saw pretty contentious here in the US. And, and there sitting was the former president of South Africa during apartheid who imprisoned Mandela and a gentleman that he imprisoned alongside Mandela. And what I could assume, I can't recall the gentleman's name, but you know, maybe a former Hamas member and uh, a Palestinian next to a very prominent rabbi and, uh, and West Bank settler, all sort of now friends in a way talking to one another. Definitely not your typical conference, right? Absolutely. I, I think one of the things, and one of the, the cool opportunities to be part of Summit, so I was brought on board as their executive creative director to help kind of pioneer the brand forward, was uh, peering into this world that I had not seen before, where, um, where there was more substance than, or I should say there was just as much substance as sizzle, and I think that's even changed over time to become more substantive. Um, and, uh, and yeah, even I think a great example of looking at, I wish it had been more well attended, right? Because there were probably like 100 people at that particular session around reconciliation, but um, what an amazing opportunity to go to essentially what, what you think is a business conference and end up kind of looking into the soul level saying how can we take these you know how can we draft up this cultural conversation right with 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 reconciliation being following the, the election and and a really divided country yeah it was beautiful and you know one thing that struck me i recall our first conversation and continues to this day is um this idea of soul that you talk about which um you know, a lot of people I think consider to be a spiritual thing, perhaps not something to bring into business, um, especially maybe if you're not a millennial or even a Gen Xer, um, you know, a soul within a company perhaps isn't as normal of a conversation to be having. And, and I know you have one particular framework, mental framework called onlyness, which to me sort of wraps in with this brand having a soul too. So can you kind of talk to us about what do you mean when you say you want to work with brands that have a soul um, or on projects that have a soul? And, and then let's get to this idea of onlyness that you've also sure. coined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have a few phrases we throw around. One of them uh, that, that we, we talk about as a team a lot is about care over commerce as well. And this notion that uh, the, the innate uh, notion that we're, we're, we're full human beings. We're, we're not just, we're not just uh, you know, brands or people, for instance, as well as being you know, entities. Um, and the same thing is true about employees, right? Um, that, that the inside matches the outside uh, from, from the companies that we work for to kind of our, uh, the way we kind of project ourselves into the world. Um, and I think, you know, as that, as that kind of, as we, we look at this lens of like um, soulless brands and giving them a fleshy beating heart, um, I'm reminded there are so many brands that we have an opportunity to work with who've lost their way. And typically some of those are, huge brands that you'd say you you're you're very familiar with them as a brand as a whole but the people who are working inside those brands it might be a hundred thousand employees around the world they don't really know how they work together as a global unified force uh to do something in the world they don't necessarily see their they, they see themselves adhere to their group to their uh, to their boss maybe to their team maybe to the company but not necessarily adhere to to the, the like a larger rallying cry and so um a big part of what we do is work with companies big and small to help them you know, crystallize what they stand for, what they believe in, help to kind of to um, manifest those ideas in the world or, or activate those ideas and fully you know, to, to actualize those. Um, and so this idea of, of onlyness is kind of the beginning stages of that. Um, you know, um, I, as a, just a quick anecdote, I'm, I'm a big fan of science and, and sort of a closet physicist, believe it or not. So uh, 
Uh, I know an off topic. I actually reached out to Neil deGrasse Tyson recently just to say, "Hey, you want to do something together?" Um, I still but um, but I was during a presentation. I was framing something up, and I presented a, a picture of the universe as we know it. And the interesting thing is, I asked people to identify where is Earth in this, and no one could no one could identify. And this tiny little arrow on the next slide pointed to this to to actually where our galaxy was within this the, the universe, um, and. Uh, and then, and then Earth ultimately, and it was just this cloud of stars, uh, thousands upon thousands in a picture. And I, and I just kind of used this as a reference point and said, if we're honest with ourselves as as brand marketers, um, you could navigate any, you know, consciously, we could navigate any way with a brand. You could own a certain, you know, but it's such a wide world out there. So how do we own our unique corner of the universe? What's the one thing that we can lay claim to that nobody else can? So that is the idea behind loneliness. Uh, it's not our original word, but we picked it up and kind of grew it, and it's become sort of um, enmeshed in a good way with, with the kind of work we do. Um, but we look at it as onlyness as, you know, the one thing that you can lay claim to in the universe that no one else can. Again, within degrees of separation, and, and usually giving people a really good sense of what's the, what's the one thing you want to lead, you want to talk about, you want to leverage. Um, and a quick example of that, uh, Cody, is, you know, Tesla is a good example, right? So it's this car that gets better after you buy it. It has a, you know, a monitor on the inside that allows firmware updates. And um, literally, with, with customer feedback, uh, customers might decide you know, they need an extra, you know, an, an, an extra set of brakes in there or, or an extra uh, maybe gear that doesn't exist. Push a firmware update overnight and you know, 30 days later or whatever, you've got a new, a new function to that car that didn't exist before, um, which is kind of a new, a new way of looking at it. And that means that the value of that vehicle in some ways uh, I think it's one of the few cars that actually sells for a higher value once it's been assembled and once it's already been purchased or used because they're, they're custom built for people. So, um, you know, it's a great car that, that literally only gets better after you buy it, which is an interesting proposition. Um, and, and, you know, even Amazon gift cards, uh, when we dug into the gift card business working for Amazon, we realized people buy gift cards for specific reasons. And many times it's because they don't know that person very well. They totally forgot. Um, they're, um, they're, uh, they, don't, they don't have time. So when we began to channel the voice for, for Amazon's brand, we said, hey, like, let's just acknowledge the reality and, and let, people, let, let Amazon be the voice truly channeling what people think. So, um, so Amazon gift cards are the only brands that really kind of say what you're actually thinking. It's the only gift card that does that. So that's just a little exploration around this idea of loneliness and how we work with, with companies to define that. And that's the starting point as we kind of move up this, this food chain, this, almost this hierarchy of brand needs. How many companies do you think, or what percentage of companies do you think actually do this soul searching? And how many of them do you think are actualized, if that's the, the word you use? It's a great question. It's a great question. Uh, so I, I think, you know, a couple of the, the things we're looking at or we evaluate as we hold these ideas in our hands is one is sort of the CSR platforms. So things that basically are, are their, their giving platforms, which in, in some companies, especially huge companies, they're highly marginalized. So they're, they're groups that actually are not well funded, um, that kind of they check the box for giving back, but they're not central to the brand itself. So in those cases, they're definitely inherently good. Um, those are good things to have, but they don't always get the kind of play they need. And they're definitely not central enough to the brand as a whole to be prioritized. So many times they're marginalized as far as funding goes or, or their influence over the brand. But then there's this new era of brands we're looking at, which we're, we're all very familiar with. Things like Tom's Shoes, where inherently it's built into the business model from the get-go, this giving model, this one-for-one -one model um, that literally propels forward the brand and the brand story beyond it being just a cool, functional you know, uh, thing to wear. It does good in the world. 
um, and that they're continuing to leverage that. So we would look at that as saying, um, there's a whole new sort of rise in generation of brands that are built to kind of give back. And we're encouraging more and more brands to build this into their business model um, in order to weave it in more heavily rather than being just like an afterthought or add on. Um, because people will, will very quickly sense um, both internally employees as well as, as, as customers and, um, and consumers that, that this is just, this is, this is a tacked on, um, you know, whitewashing of sorts, or even like what people said, greenwashing, <laughs> trying to kind of match with a, a spirit of people today who, who are creating companies that authentically um, look at themselves as a platform to give in the world and, and to do good. So for these companies or, or people listening, like, and say that they want to do good, right? And they want to give back to the world, but they also want to make the bottom line numbers and hit earnings and grow their employee base and feed their families, whatever the case may be. Have you found, is there a correlation between higher returns, better awareness, increased sales, et cetera, and having this alignment of a brand? Or are we too early in the phase to kind of be able to quantify this beyond just it's the right thing to do? Mm -hmm. I think that's a great question. It's a very intelligent question. Um, and we are less of an analytical agency, more of a gut instinct agency. We certainly, you know, use strategies is a huge part of it, but we use more human, uh, human insight than, than uh, large uh, data and metrics. I have seen some research that, um, that shows this correlation between companies where their, where their uh, employees are mission-minded and understand what their mission is in the world, what their uh, sort of united you know, force allows them to do and their purpose. Um, that does demonstrate that there is uh, higher employee satisfaction, more retention, a greater product. Um, I cannot say with profitability for sure, but, but, I, uh, but I tend to think that, and, and I, I believe I've seen some research that demonstrates that actually there's, uh, there's more, um, there's higher sales, say, from something like that for a company that is purpose-led and, and can actually leverage that properly. Um, but I certainly don't claim to have a corner on the statistics there at all. I do think from, from an evidence standpoint of the work that we've done with brands, because a lot of times it's kind of, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's soft, right? I mean, we, we might go into someone like with, with Intel worked on a global scale to help them write their manifesto and then activate this sort of global campaign as they were shifting uh, between, you know, from being a, a, you could say an ingredient brand to performance-based brand and helping, helping their global employee base understand that we are standing for something larger than ourselves. Our collective, what the capability that we have to do and pioneer the world forward uh, is very powerful. And, and that we as people are actually the, we're the, um, we're the inside, you know, that, that makes, uh, makes powerful experiences on the outside and see themselves as pivotal to the organization's um, innovation, for instance. So, yeah, so I'll just, I'll, I'll cap that off and just say, I think, um, I think there's absolutely uh, clear evidence to show that when you can identify an onlyness as a company and you can rally people around purpose and mission uh, and, uh, and, and, and choose to kind of catalyze your, your employee base or even consumers to around the same message, that absolutely has a net positive impact. Yeah, I do not disagree with you at all. I mean, I can certainly see it in the businesses that I've built that have been successful because I've done that deep soul searching as a business and as a person myself and the ones where I haven't. And so you feel a little listless, a little adrift, a little confused, even when you achieve the results you're looking for. And, you know, I know we talked about this a little bit before um, and more in regards to self-actualization, 
uh, mm -hmm. like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I saw one of the articles you wrote on that from a business perspective. So this sort of theory of, of human motivation applied to business professionals and the, the steps of the pyramid that we climb up um, and what we need to have. And the thing that struck me that I'm just now starting to understand, I think, is um, what happens when you kind of reach towards the top of a traditional idea of success as a business or as a person. And, and I, what I've found is that, you know, once you start making the money and um, having a successful business and everything's running really smoothly and uh, sales are flowing, that it's not enough, right? And that all of the things that you thought were going to fill whatever little holes there were inside of you, um, which maybe drives many business professionals like us to create and grow, don't get filled by just the metrics and the business and the sales and the monetary growth or the power and the respect factor or the ego. Um, and that maybe it's, it's something beyond that and maybe we have it flipped. And I think about, you know, in your neck of the woods, well, you know, I know you guys are located in, in uh, Minnesota and also in um, the Northeast. But like I think about Starbucks, about like Howard Schultz and and how he created this huge organization and is now, you know, sort of realizing through some of the project work he's doing with upstanders that like that impact is what really matters, maybe not the bottom line. So can you, I would love for you to explain to people here your theory kind of flipped on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but for business and what you think about that actualization and maybe like, is that more important almost than just the money and the, and the success and the respect? Or what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, the, the idea would be if those things can work together, that, that you know, more that, that the money and respect and all those things that come with sort of building a functional business are actually amplified uh, by building a purpose-led business. So, um, yeah, one of the things I'd love to talk through, like for your, for your question was, is that, is that sort of brand hierarchy of needs? And it, and it starts with, from our perspective, it starts with um, this identification of, of the one thing you can lay claim to in the world. You're, you're just you know, telling the world what you stand for and that um, <clears throat> writing your manifesto, declaring that uh, openly and making sure that everyone is aligned, especially internally on, on what that belief system is and developing that belief system that goes before, before your, your, your product, what you sell. You know, we're all familiar with the, kind of the golden circle. So it's an adaptation of that in some ways that says it's the, it's the why at the very center of like why you exist and what your purpose is. The second one, the second layer that we consider as this uh, Maslow's hierarchy needs and are applied to our brand world is, um, is the activation of those beliefs. So this is, the, this is the time in which we, and we, sometimes we engage organizations that are already actively, they know what they stand for. They just need us to, to build upon that and to be able to tell the world about it. So that's that stage where we actually, not just declare it, but we actually activate that through, through uh, kind of cross-discipline stuff across 360 degrees worth of channels, whether it's digitally, socially, it's campaign work um, that actually is founded in something more than just, you know, drink more Ovaltine. It, it actually contains that, that origin story, contains that purpose and that why. Um, but then finally, and this is the part where we kind of like cross over where I think most agencies just stop. They just don't do that. They ended this whole thing. Of, cool. Did we sell more Axe? Did we sell more Pepsi? Did we sell more whatever? Um, where we say, actually, that the top layer there is, is being able to, do, to truly actualize. And the actualize, as we define it, is being able to give back, being able to see a brand as perhaps the, the loudest, uh, most influential platform in the world to affect change. 
uh, and looking at that through the lens of stewardship and saying we have a responsibility if we're uh, at this level of, of making great impact into the world. So just like, just like you mentioned, like all the, all the people we have seen who have made their millions, in many cases, they turn around and suddenly find dissatisfaction with, with um, just wanting more of something or even, even a higher inversion of that thing and ultimately say, they usually look at legacy of being there, um, what they gave back to the world. Um, you know, I think founder of Microsoft is a great example of that, of, uh, of someone who has clearly divided himself as much as a, as a philanthropist as, as, as an innovator. Um, and um, so I think that's, that's, that's no small thing we look at it. And I think brands are much the same that will be remembered in the future and actually propelled forward um, based on kind of that shift from just, you know, selling more stuff and being the guys who make that to the people who stand for something um, and, and, you know, and tell the world about it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I do think, you know, it kind of almost gets back to like what drives achievers to do things as well. Like I think about it when people ask me, well, you know, why do you get up so early? Why do you stay up so late? And why do you choose to work on all of these different things? And if I sit down and analyze why I do this and thus why I'm able to perform more and, and the more people I speak to like you who have had success at high levels, um, I really find a hard time finding people who have had a lot of success, who are business leaders um, and who didn't have something given to them that don't have their onlyness kind of circled as the reason why. You know, they don't get up in the morning and grind from five until whenever or um, go the extra mile or go harder every single day because they want to make a ton of money. It just doesn't seem like that's super sustainable to a point. They do it because there is some internal reason or why that drives them. So I guess if you think about a company, like you said, just like a human, the same thing applies. So if you want your employees to drive harder and you want the company to be more successful, then you might need to start with what gets people out of bed in the morning um, in order to grind harder. Uh, so I think that's really powerful. Um, you, you know, this is a little one off, but what about like, do you, have you ever said no to a company that wanted to come on board and you were like, you guys just the soul thing. You don't have the soul. There's not alignment. It wasn't a money thing. All of that was there for you. You just said, no, we're not aligned to you. Yeah. Yeah, we have, we have uh, had to do that on a couple of occasions and, um, it was it was both good and hard because I think it, it was um, the good part of it was it it um, it reaffirmed us the fact that that despite turning away opportunities that may have had financial uh, um, opportunities associated with them or had had financial upside um, it, it demonstrated to us that there's a future beyond that and actually made us understand that choice and choosing that we we need to be choosy as an organization with the position that we have I think the hard part of it is too is is um, especially if if you're approached by someone, you know, in our business, a lot of it is driven by friendship. And so um, people may, may think of you as a discipline expert, but not necessarily frame up and say, well, maybe you guys aren't the best to launch this. So there are a couple of times we've had to turn away people um, that, that wasn't the best fit based, based on ethos or even that point of view in the world. And there are a couple of, there's a couple of arenas that we really do try to avoid that are highly controversial. Um, and, and we generally look at, uh, at brands and say, hey, most brands in the world are great brands. And I mean, are, are they, they, have, they belong, right? You know, a Kia exists alongside, you know, a Nissan and a BMW. They all have a place in the world. Um, and we give them kudos for the place that they, that they, that they have. Um, but also we're certainly drawn toward brands that, you know, they have a conscience that, that want to do, that understand that they have a purpose or can share that purpose. 
uh, and, and use their, their brand as a platform. So um, I'll say, yeah, it's been good and hard in that sense, but we've definitely done it on a few occasions and we live through it uh, and we affirmed our positioning even more um, and, and even kind of bound together as a group to say, yep, yeah, like we'll let that sail and, uh, and we'll, we'll stand for, for uh, what we stand for. Yeah, I love that. I remember, I, I remember the first time I had to fire a client um, actually, and I guess that was different than saying no to one um, because in our business, you know, they can just kind of buy into stuff. Um, but I remember the first time I just had to say, I think you better go elsewhere. And, uh, and it was horrifying when it actually happened. Um, but I can't tell you the opportunities that came up because I just didn't spend my energy in the wrong way with someone that wasn't aligned with how I want to do business. Um, so I, I think those are some of the most powerful, powerful moments are the ones that are well, the most painful, no? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about this. So, you know, brand agency, um, advertising, uh, you know, immediate thought for me when I hear those two words is like mad men or, um, you know, we've talked about this before or how sometimes I viscerally, I've hired PR agencies before and I've hired marketing and advertising agencies before. Um, and, and sometimes I feel like there's just a lot of pushing of product. They're not doing what you guys are talking about, this soul feeding thing. So, so one, I guess you have a different view of it that I recall reading in one of your articles on your LinkedIn, which you have some great articles there. So we'll link that too, so everybody can come follow you and read them. But um, how do you how do you explain what you do? And I thought it was a beautiful way to explain why you do what you do too. Can you kind of dive into the, that for us? Sure, sure. Um, so I, I think both in what we do and, and why we do it, um, you know, first, like, Manifesto exists to show and tell the world what brands stand for, and many times from the inside out, um, so that we uh, help to align that inside and outside as the additional layer. Um, the, um, the, the how we do what we do, yeah, I mean, we, we talked a little bit more about Mad Men and about this idea of slinging more stuff uh, or, or drink more Ovaltine, and, and this sort of 1960s era of, uh, you know, guys smoking in a boardroom somewhere, thinking about how they're going to, you know, sell a Hershey's bar and, and make up a fake story about, uh, you know, a kid endeared to his to his mother, um, you know, and, and spin a story in that way that, that's not real. Um, I think, you know, in, in our in our world, I think we we usually we we almost always start with that sense of kind of looking at you know investigating the, the ground level of. of where a brand sits currently, how much kind of consciousness they have of themselves and how, how well aware they are of kind of where they're headed. Um, but our work does engage at totally different levels. Um, so let me know if I'm, if I'm not hitting your question right, uh, and we can reframe it. But um, I think as we look at the juxtaposition between that madman era where you're slinging more stuff uh, that people don't actually need, we have to enter the conversation with the belief that brands could, in, like that meant almost all brands deserve to exist if they're not, if they're, if they're not unethical or immoral. Uh, and, and from that standpoint, kind of looking at their sphere of influence, um, you know, many times our work begins with, with literally helping to articulate all these kind of loose parts and pieces and, and pull it into a true manifesto that becomes the rallying cry that everyone can kind of get behind. Without that, we, we typically, you know, can't start. So that's why, I mean, it's, it's, I would say it's more rare that we actually do a campaign 
when all things are set to go and they just we just hit, you know, where someone's saying, I just need the kind of the crazy fun messaging to get people to buy this thing. Um, we don't even think of it that way. Uh, I mean, I can't, I can't think of one experience where that's ever come up necessarily um, because we always have to go back to the, to the kind of origins. Uh, and actually just to, to retrace our steps quickly, um, I, I wanna make sure I mentioned as, I, as we talked about this, this idea of the, the onlyness that, that we kind of have to start with with brands, laying claims in this universe. For us in our process, that's actually comprised of three parts that we look at. And it's really a Venn diagram that contains the origin story, the origins of, of that brand, the brand's ambitions, and also its attributes. And when you combine those three things together and investigate them, at the very center is, is that onlyness, that one thing that people can lay claim to. So we look at, you know, why does this brand exist? You know, like Cisco, was it, was it kind of a crazy couple of hackers somewhere? You know, was it launched by people who, who saw opportunity or two napkins were kind of a big part of the, the original guys sketching out ideas on napkins were that um, was the beginning sort of story of, of, that, of that brand. Or you look to, you know, the second bucket being the ambitions. What does this organization aspire to be? You know, um, uh, and again, for, for Cisco, Innovation is a huge is a huge aspect of their ambitions. They know they're not as they know they're not uh, as innovative as they need to be, but they have the DNA for it. It's been present since the very beginning, and they need to pull that out. People, um, so we, we begin to kind of tease that out. And thirdly, the attributes. You know, what are the what's the DNA that makes your organization that is unique? You know, and, and gifts that you bring to the world. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually, if you're cool, I'm just going to extrapolate and, and kind of regroup, as you mentioned, on the personal side, too. I think this applies to, to individual people as well. This idea of looking at your true origin story of uh, kind of where you came from, what would have inspired you to, to head out in your own pursuit, um, kind of unfettered by the world or unadulterated by the world, what were the things that kind of revved your engines? And then secondly, the ambitions of like uh, what you set forward as your path and what, what great goals that you wish to achieve uh, and, and why. Uh, and then thirdly is the attributes, which I find is the, the most interesting one. Your unique qualities and gifts that you bring to the world that nobody else does. And, and having someone be able to speak truth in your life to kind of extrapolate that. Uh, and then taking those three together and say, this is your onlyness, this is your uniqueness that, that, um, that you can kind of bring to bear in the world to kind of find your own manifesto, your own purpose and mission and vision. I mean, I love it. I've told you, you need to do a TED talk on that. So we'll be looking for that in the year to come. I think it's super powerful, Tim. Um, and I, you know, so, so what about this? So these ideas, what I love about speaking with you, and I noticed it immediately at Summit, is one, you don't speak in a very traditional way. It's not, um, you know, three bullet pointed out and, um, the way that you frame every conversation that you speak around is with fun, engaging words and um, words that you can tell have a lot of meaning behind them and, and processes that you can tell are really thought out. And so when I think about Tim, you know, in his office with his team going after, I don't know, Amazon and trying to break down this prime card and who is Amazon and going through this process, what does it look like? Are you standing in front of a giant whiteboard and you've got a big Venn diagram up and you know, you've got like different colors going on or is it like sticky notes all over the place? Or are you like quiet typing on your computer? What's the creative process that you sort of tap into? Yeah. Thank you for asking. It's kind of fun. I'm sort of pull, pulling back the, uh, the, the, or peeling the, the onion a little bit and seeing the layers beneath. So exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. So first and foremost, I'll say that my, the process that I always brought to bear, like someone could throw me in a room, like with whiteboards, it'd probably be a prison, but I'd be like, oh, this is actually no prison. This is like, this is where I have to be. So whiteboard walls uh, are, are basically um, 
any surfaces that can be written on. Very, I'm very analog style in that sense and, and word-driven. So um, spend enough time to know that while some people, especially art directors and creative directors who've grown up on that art side, they actually look at pictures and that's the way they communicate. Um, I'm very visual, but I also look at words and phrases as being very powerful. So typically, even as I look at my wall here in my office, it's populated completely full pretty much with, with words and phrases um, that stem from you know, different campaigns we've been working on or brand initiatives. So a big part of, a big part of the, uh, of the uh, kind of my, my process and our team's process is um, throwing this stuff on the wall in such a way that it's kind of correlated and related. And that means we use Venn diagrams a lot. We, we look at the triangulation of ideas because yeah. in many cases, brands will bring us problems where they actually have disparate pieces and they really don't fit together. They're kind of forced that way um, because of just the structure. They didn't think, it, you know, it hasn't been thought through entirely. So we take this disparate piece plus this disparate piece and this and sometimes try to even create and help them understand how they got here, why they got here, what that sort of linear story is. Um, so we use models like that for sure. Um, definitely, we, we tend to use like a lot of mind mapping, a little less sticky notes, um, uh, especially when we have whiteboard walls. We built at a great office here with tons of whiteboard walls everywhere, uh, just uh, with, with idea paints and putting it in a plug for, for friends over there. But, um, but uh, yeah, a big part of our process is actually like identifying that phrase that pays in some ways. And you know, we, we sometimes say, from a, from a college professor I learned from, is say it square, so articulate it, make sure it's utterly clear and you can identify that uh, uh, with a client. So say it square and then say it with flair. And uh, it's an old school term from, from probably the, the Detroit days of, of like advertising Mad Men guys, but that notion of being able to take a fun, you know, something that's pragmatically said and then add the flair around it, the creativity, the, um, the things that kind of create gravitas. Um, so. That's, uh, I would say words is, and, and word wizardry is, is a huge part of kind of the way that we, we end up um, landing on campaigns, platforms, and ideas. Um, knowing that that narrative, that single narrative, even the manifesto is something you want people to, 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 uh, to almost cry. And, and as a plug for our team, I'll just say, you know, our, one of our senior copywriter, Charles, wrote a narrative last week for Sam Adams and you know, the, the client said, we cried when you read this. Oh, really that awesome really neat actually yeah that's amazing um especially what you said i mean in this age i just had a podcast the other day with uh this fascinating ceo ceo of this company called slidebot have you heard of them i have not okay so it's imagine um ai but for powerpoint presentations so you put in your uh, words or graphs or whatever the actual content is with no branding or or um, graphic design done to it and this computer uses um, AI in order to create a presentation for you within seconds using imagery that actually is able to recognize the words that you have within within your presentation and so he did an example for me and it's kind of astounding and um, and I can imagine uh, a world in where you don't have to put together, you know, a, a painful 90 minute presentation every time you're doing something, you just get to think of the content and then allow a machine to sort of wrap some imagery around it. And then you make parameters that sort of change it and it gets smarter every time you use it, it understands how you like to present better and better. And so each presentation it creates for you is easier and easier to use. And I thought it was brilliant and he's the opposite of you. So he's very visually based so it's a lot of imagery mm -hmm. as opposed to words um but you know i was uh i was reading your linkedin 
and cracking up because Dave, uh, your twin, and and like you know, what do they say when twins look alike? What what is that called? Um, oh, the identical twins. Identical twins. Wow. Okay. So I'm gonna read this because I was I was cracking up. So so basically, this shows to me like the beauty and the fun that you two have with words amongst each other. And then I want to dive into this unique relationship you have and building a business around people that you love, which we've also talked about. So this, you guys, imagine you're scrolling through LinkedIn and, uh, you know, you happen to find Tim's profile, which we'll link and you should go there. And um, as you're scrolling down, you see a lot of LinkedIn recommendations, you know, typical hard worker, great work ethic, thrilled to be on a team with him, uh, you know, would hire him if I had the chance. And then you come to Dave's of Tim, which is, Aside from being wildly creative, exceptionally good-looking, and occasionally funny, Tim is, beyond a doubt, one of the most talented individuals I've had the privilege to work with, much less share a trundle bed with. Then he goes on to define a trundle bed. He has an extraordinary ability to think on his feet, provide content and ideas that are both plausible and innovative, and keep a constant awareness of the big idea. He goes on to say a few other nice things about Tim. And then he says, should he gain any notable recognition within any creative industry or enterprise, I can only assume that my influence upon him has proven to be the singular inspiration for such success. <laughs> and I just love this because in this world in which uh, as the CEO of Slybot said, there are 30 million presentations created a day mm -hmm. on PowerPoint. And in this world in which we have more TED Talks now than I ever imagined we thought people would be standing on stage and speaking, and more brands speaking in this universe of stars where we can't even find our earth among them, there's just so much noise. And so I wonder, when you guys are trying to break through this noise, and you're, you're tasked with something difficult, and I'm sure like all of us, you get a block. What do you do? What do you do to get around to the ideas and the core truth? You have your whiteboard process, but is there something you do when Tim's just stuck? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I think, um, wonderful. That's, first of all, I'd say it's a great question, because I think it, it reveals that this, this industry and any, any business is never just like a perfect process. But I think there is one thing that we universally do that I think, and it's, it's actually, it's, it's spawned by this concept of transparency and, and about, and, and authenticity as well. So this notion of saying, am I, am I, or vulnerability, let's just say it's probably vulnerability at the very most. And the vulnerability, I think, that goes before us and our entire team too says, hey, we're not experts in everything. We are definitely experts at getting to understand things and kind of wrapping our heads and articulating stuff. There's no way we can possibly quarterback and have a deep understanding of all the different kinds of clients and sectors we're playing in. So it really comes down to resourcefulness and vulnerability. And vulnerability is just saying, I don't know, I'm gonna go find out. I'm actually gonna go resourceful and I'm gonna, I'm gonna work around this sort of block by asking somebody. So one of the first things in our process across the entire board is, uh, for instance, we're starting to work with Death Store Spirits, a, a really cool brand that's based out of Midwest with this incredible story of, you know, uh, fearlessness in the face of this, this, um, this, it's actually named after a dangerous stretch of water between the, the Door County, a, a tip of a uh, peninsula of Wisconsin and Washington Island in this place that's notorious for shipwrecks. But they, they're bringing back um, some, some uh, they're bringing back uh, agriculture to the island in the, in the spirit of kind of revival and, and restoration. But I say, you know, uh, I did not have a deep uh, expertise on gin when we first started there. But the first thing I did was 
literally called a friend of mine who I knew was a, was a great bartender in uh, years in New York, who was very well familiar with that brand. Um, and so we, we basically reach out to a human network of people who are willing to lend us ideas, um, thought starters, perspective. And so instead of just having you know, a few people in a room somewhere, um, even the Summit Network, we're able to reach out, uh, have great conversations with people, help us get a better sense of the wholeness and perspective of a brand. And then we're able to bring not three or four people's perspectives, but, but a dozen people's perspectives to grow. Um, and so many times that actually ends up earning us the title among clients as the smartest agency they've ever worked with, which is a huge honor. Um, but, but that's very much what, you know, the last inter interaction with, with a new team at Intel said, and, and we, were, we were thrilled to hear that. But I think it comes down to the vulnerability of saying, cool, we're not experts. Um, we're not experts at, at all of this. We can get that way. We're going to reach out to people and we built, you know, a national or international uh, database uh, off, off the record, which comes in the form of text, like, hey, can you talk? Um, <laughs> uh, you know? um, and then I think that all comes from really part of the secret sauce has just come from paying it forward and being willing that anybody knows they can pick up the phone at any time and say, Tim, do you, do you know somebody you can help me on this? Do you have an expertise in this? Uh, and being willing to, to be um, accessible to other people when they have needs as well. Um, yeah, I love that. Well, and it's so apparent. I mean, you're doing this podcast, obviously, and we've exchanged, you know, multiple names back and forth. So I can tell you live your word in that, in that realm completely. Um, and so, like, I think this is correlated, but this idea of you build a business with the people that you love or the, the people that you want to surround yourself with or coming back to the summit, you know, friendship before business. We talked a little bit about this in the boat, but you know, you've built a business with your brother. And so one, I like the initial story about how it started and where. So I'd like you to share that if you wouldn't mind. And then two, you know, obviously he's your twin. Um, and so there's no getting rid of him. Um, but you build a business with a family member. Like, was that thoughtful, strategic? And does that equate out to this network of people that you have? Is it because you're friends with these people that you continue to go back and forth with them? And have you really built a business surrounded by people that you love and, and respect? Or is there a different way that you build? Great questions. Um, so back to kind of our origin story and how we got started and then I'll kind of uh, veer into the territory of where we ended up today. Um, yeah, our, our, our simple story of getting started in, in a coffee shop, um, no, no, no clients and no money. And uh, so we're, um, and that was actually in Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And then um, at the same time, uh, having my brother start kind of remotely out in Portland, Oregon. So we started essentially with two places. Uh, he left a, a, a wonderfully high-paying job in some ways, uh, at least one where he had a lot of pipeline and a lot of uh, opportunity had been, had been uh, selling, um, uh, you could say selling and work on behalf of an agency, and really had a, a, a huge future there that, that he decided to say, I'm driven out of passion to step away from that. Um, so, and, and me stepping out of the Summit world to do this, both based on our time at Summit at Sea, where we kind of caught our, we caught the wind of saying, we can do this. And we see an opportunity in the marketplace for this, this intersection between cause, commerce, and innovation that we could begin to own uh, because we see more and more companies uh, heading in the space. And we also see an entire generation of people who want to believe in the brands that they, that they, that they buy. So, um, so that was kind of our, our, our brief you know, origin story. And I'll not advise it to anybody, but I will say there is an ounce, more than an ounce of naivety that says, hey, I'm a good practitioner, which means I could probably make a good company out of that. That's not entirely true. We've learned the hard way many times over um, that we've had 
you know, had to augment our weaknesses because I am a good practitioner, but there are many places that, that I've not been uh, as, as successful from the standpoint of just, or even my own characteristics or, or failings that I have had to overcome or address head on shortcomings. Um, but all that said, you know, as we build a culture of people, we knew one thing was really critical, which is, you know, Dave and I had a family dynamic. We know people, there's some people who will never even come to work for a family-based business, right? We never, we don't ever even think about that. Like I would never even call us a family-based business. It sounds so weird. We are brothers. Uh, we are twins. We're identical twins in that sense. We, we've shared a lot. But that also brings us to an incredible level of, unlike just normal brothers or something, we have our moments where we are contentious and we, 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 have, we do battle over things. We also know at the end of the day, there's an incredible amount of mutual respect for, the, for both the divergence of career paths we've had in our experience, as well as just the individual level and an incredible amount of trust as well. So uh, I think Dave knows that I'm taking a bullet for him and likewise. Um, and, and when you bring that into the business space, there are moments of, of, of volatility, but, there's, but uh, as, as you'd imagine any business partners, there are also incredible moments of, of, of beautiful transparency and growth. And even the soul level of our company forces us to look not just at the, at the individual and, and the, the, the work that we're doing kind of on the company side, but also at the soul level of saying, cool, you're a whole human being. What does your family life look like right now? What's the life balance that you need? Do you need some soul care? Do you need to take a personal day? Um, and, and, and how we build this relationship of, uh, of an agency that is legendary for love. We've talked about that as an organization, how we'd like to own that space, culturally speaking. Um, so to, to go to your second question about how we build this sort of, this, this group of people, um, we use the word love, but it's, you know, even unlike someone which started with, with a group of friends, a couple, some guys who, who aligned with their friends, our organization is different in the sense that not all the people working here are our friends. Uh, they're more so people who are drawn to our mission and our vision and our values. Um, and so there's this, this notion of, we, we kind of sometimes find the misfits of, of advertising and marketing, people who are dissatisfied with the status quo. Uh, and sometimes have a higher, you know, higher hope of a belief system that guides them. That also means we've got the disruptors who are here. Sometimes the anarchists, um, you know, people who shake their fists at the man. So we have to curb that sometimes and realize we are in service to brands. But it's because we think of them for, through the stewardship lens and what and what we can kind of bring to bear in the world of doing good. So we weigh those things out. But ultimately, we are comprised of, of, of believers, of people who believe in in the work we're doing. And at times we'll set aside even our own personal you know, goals, ambitions, and agendas to say, we work for something that is larger, uh, larger than ourselves individually. And we can, we can approach that with sort of collective stewardship model. I think that's phenomenal. So interesting. Um, and once, I found that once you find a few humans who seem to craft their lives this way, you see so many more that do. Um, and I, there must be some sort of leverage or momentum or, um, I don't know, frequency that happens with uh, when you find one, sort of the allowance for more to come into your life. So it's really powerful. And I love that line, uh, the disruptors and the, and the misfits of advertising and marketing. Um, but let's get a little tactical to kind of close out. So I'm not keeping you for 72 years after being late, like a typical Latina I am. Um, I want to talk about something I'd never heard about before I read one of your articles, which is drafting off the cultural conversation. And, um, you know, it was, I was at a dinner party the other night. Oh, Tim, we also need to hit on your dinner party that I'm forgetting the name of. Um, so we're going to talk about that next really quickly because such a cool idea. 
Yes. Um, but yeah. drafting off the cultural conversation. So um, essentially, I was at a dinner party, kind of like the one that you guys run, um, but run by somebody here in Dallas. And they were talking about all of these people who have sort of made their brand off of this contentious election cycle and a lot of the conflicts that we've had inside of it. Particularly one is Tommy Lauren because she's based here in Dallas, who's kind of the blonde on Blaze TV, who um, I, I think she she does call it like rants with Tommy. So I don't think that's a uh, judgmental phrase, but she, she goes off on Colin Kaepernick, right? About him um, not addressing the flag during the anthem and really kind of, whoosh, catapulted her career from there. Um, and you said something in one of your articles akin to, it's a little bit like walking into the middle of a street and putting on a pantomime show. So like, talk to me, this is an actual thing that brands consciously do. And, and what does it mean, this drafting off a cultural conversation? And how do you do it without, you know, getting shot? Totally, totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, I realize the cultural conversation, and especially as we look at like the environment of America for the last, you know, the United States over the past, you know, uh, 12 months, it's been a volatile space for anybody to stick up their head and have a strong point of view. Uh, and there's, there's a little bit, there's a little part of, um, a little part of the, um, well, we know brands in general, right? It's, it's dangerous. I know that L.L. Bean just got an endorsement they didn't want from Donald Trump, right? You may have seen that. Um, I did. Oh, no. Sort of the question of that article was like, hey, you know, what do you do when you get an endorsement or a Twitter, a Twitter uh, you know, response um, from somebody that you don't want endorsement around, you know, particularly? And that's no commentary there for or against, but, but more so rather to say it's been a volatile space for brands to kind of pop their head because automatically what's happening in the culture conversations for the last you know, 12, 12 months has been around election about, you know, the future direction of, of America. So one of the most important things that I think, um, and I'll give you insight into an idea that we, uh, we thought of, I think we may have pitched or presented, it wasn't picked up by this particular uh, uh, brand, but um, <clears throat> was it was a draft off the cultural conversation. So uh, here's a great example, right? So uh, and I'll mention the brand and Sam Adams, and we were working on some ideas around how to engage within this political landscape and, uh, and looking at their own positioning as a brand that really is not, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not the small craft brewery that they used to be. They led that, they led that, that tradition, but they're no longer the small guys. They're actually uh, much bigger now. They kind of own, own that industry. But you've got, you know, and they were, they were kind of created to be the, 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 the counterpart or really to be, to fill that gap between the, the giant, you know, uh, brands of the world that actually were at the time considered sort of soulless big box brands, you know, uh, the Budweiser's of the world and stuff like that. So um, this, this craft space. So we, we, we joked about early on in there, in there, as we were coming up with ideas about, you know, this is, this is about, you know, you know, C or D, you know, choose none of the above. The whole campaign would be called none of the above. And it was really, it was, it was an expression of the American public, which was saying, hey, actually, none of these candidates we feel much confidence in at the moment, right? So C, please, none of the above. You know, what, what else you got? Or you know, the same thing from a beer standpoint of choosing something that's different. It's not, it's not the big one. It's not the craft, you know, so they're no longer craft super small. They're no longer uh, necessarily, they're not this ginormous brand. They're somewhere, you know, in the middle and that might be, you know, none of the above. So choose none of the above. Um, that's just, an, I think, an example of a way of, of a brand and, and our sneak peek over into, into kind of the cultural conversation saying, when these moments are occurring, whether it's extreme volatility in the street fight that, that's occurring, I think um, what, we've, we've, what we have seen, I think we've seen a lot of people trying to say, hey, the country's divided. 
So how do we fill the gap with kind of creating love for everyone? It may sound a bit pedantic to say that, but I do think that's probably been one of the brand challenges for brands that are driven in that space of saying, cool, how do we take, how do we take you know, this part of the country and this part of the country and bring them together? And how is our brand, how can we play a role in restoration in some way, in connection of showing that we're, that we're all American? So that means any American brands very likely who are extremely steeped in Americana, we're beginning to think about how we're not so much divided as, as a country as much as how we can, can uh, you know, think of things together. I think Budweiser putting uh, America on the, you know, and re relabeling their, uh, their bottles America for a season was not, um, was not done in a vacuum. I think it was very purposeful to unite people at a critical time in our country. Um, so that's all the stuff that we consider drafting off the cultural conversations, being willing to kind of get into the fight, but also realize brands can be peacemakers. They can be the ones who are connecting there. They can be the ones who show up with a pantomime show that begins to distract from the, from the fist fight uh, in, in, in a pleasant, peaceful way. Um, but that, that is a, it's a little audacious because they're willing to enter that. And so the trouble is you have to be ready to get beat up a little bit. And that's, that's the courage part of this business. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, so there's one other thing I want to get to before the dinner party is, you know, as I'm hearing all of this, a balance that I think is very difficult to find as somebody who does creative work too, in tandem with having to do promotion is, is exactly that. How do you balance promotion and creation? And I'm not really sure why this question came to me from our previous comments, but you must struggle with the same, and I'm sure at the, the business overall. You're growing one of the you know, Inc. 500 fastest businesses out there, one of the top 100 you know, creative e agencies in the US um, that you started from a coffee shop, and you have to be creative and create in order to be the smartest agency that a company's ever worked with. Um, but then also people have to know about you in order for you to do more of that creation. So, how do you balance the two? Do you ever just, I mean, I find myself, sometimes I'm guilty if I'm only focused on creation. Sometimes I'm guilty if I'm only focused on promotion. It feels like this catch 22 between the two. Man, that is a good, that's a great question. I mean, it, it is a catch 22. And you've heard it said many times that the cobbler son has no shoes. He's so busy making shoes for everybody else. So that is a challenge. I think every company that's growing and has a conscience, you know, thinks about because at the same time we know we know why the selfie exists for self-promotion. We're, we're all guilty of that. I mean, I say guilty in the same point. There's some guilty pleasure involved in, in um, broadcasting the things that we're doing. So I think it's, especially from a company standpoint, it is, it is essential that we're engaged in the conversation. We're, we're currently leveraging the things that we're doing and we're not omitting them because it's easy to just be satisfied in doing good work, but you realize your pipeline ends. Um, you're, you're not able to kind of get the notoriety that you're seeking because that, that notoriety begins to, to continue to sort of manifest the kind of work that you want to do. So in some ways we think of it like it's, it's a mix, like one, just want to make sure it's not solely self-serving. I think one of the things we do to make that, you know, while, while we're always pushing news out there, we also like to make sure that, 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 that every single brand that we work with has a client attached to it and that client uh, individually is a rock star. We want to make them into a rock star and steward their career, which means if they have an article posted about them, if they get an interview, we're constantly seeing connections. How do we make sure that we're the guys we aren't just promoting ourselves, but we're actually promoting our work through them. We're, we're, we're saying we're enabling them to have fuller, fuller careers, move between brands, uh, you know, chart their own path. So I think part of it is about paying it forward, even by the platforms that we leverage, which again, um, carries with that sort of promotion, you know, by, just by association. Um, I think that that balance between the, the creation, the promotion side is so, so tough. 
but I do think it's an obligation to ourselves if we are mission-minded to make sure that we are um, that we are seeking out uh, the right brands that 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 would like to work with us in the future. Uh, and so, in order to do that, we do have to self-promote. We have to promote the kind of work that we're doing and make sure it's it's um, it is it's focused enough on the brands that that need to work with us in the future, so we can do great things together. So I. In some ways, it's uh, I would say it's less self-serving because it's it's actually propelling forward a larger goal, which is um, how how two you know two entities can meet in the world and never be able to meet us, and we'll never be able to work with them if uh, if we're not uh, able to kind of leverage that work. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, I think one way that you guys do promotion, which is where we can kind of close it out before your last thoughts that I thought was fascinating, um, is is through uh, bringing together interesting humans and having a belief that when you do that sort of magic happens, whether the magic eventually monetizes or not, um, it tends to in some way. And, and, you know, if I think about just what you've said on this podcast thus far, you did that with, with summit, um, you know, bringing together interesting humans there, you know, you did it when you were at, in your ad career, sort of the teams that you came together um, and you've done it in your business, obviously by who you've hired and then by this network that you have naturally and, and hopefully giving them Intel back. And then you do it through this table for 10. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So and talk to us you, about that. Yeah. Tim? Tim, can Still you hear me? Yes. Yeah, so basically where we left off, as I said, so talk to me about table for 10. For me, it seems such a creepy. Okay? Yes, can you hear me? Hello? Tim? Can you hear me? Now I can hear you. Do you wanna talk again? Okay. Are you talking? Hmm. Interested. <laughs> okay, so you know, you had told me a little bit about this table for ten idea, which I saw as such a creative way to do promotion because essentially what you're doing is bringing together interesting humans, cross-pollinating across industries, showing the people that you get to work with, um, and also doing it kind of unselfishly just because you are curious to hear from other minds. So I have no idea if this actually was created for promotion, but can you talk to people about this idea? I think it's so beautiful and more people should try to copycat you a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, I think, you know, a couple of things. I think one of the things that we, we, we realize we are naturally curious um, people and, and, and love to meet coming out of the summit community, coming out of that sort of DNA, which we're, we're still very involved in, but, but realizing that the place in which uh, real relationships are forged is, is, in, um, is when you're most transparent. And I'll have to call out a certain model um, driven by a, a friend of ours. Um, and he created something called, um, it's called MBM or Meeting of the Big Minds. Uh, and, and this was a kind of 12 person retreat, which basically brought people out to, um, his name is Dan Lack, uh, and, and brought people out to basically be completely transparent about where they're at in the world and what they can, um, you know, you, so you live like in a, in a house together over the course of the weekend, you, um, you, you do laundry together, make meals together, but the goal is basically to say, this is who I am, this is what I can do, uh, this is what I need help with. Uh, this is how I can help you, right? So um, it's really looking at those dimensions. And you get 
amidst the weekend with 12 people, you get a 20 minute spotlight to share whatever you want and get feedback from people. And it's curating these incredible entrepreneurs who can speak truth into your life, help you balance things out, add connections. And you focus your collective conscience on, on that person's challenges at that time, their opportunities, and you look for ways to collaborate. And it's so rich. So we created Table for 10 as, a, as almost an extension of that or drafting off that idea. Um, something a little bit easier to get to, which is in specific cities. Where, where we bring together incredible uh, you know, creatives and tastemakers who are usually not on a trajectory path, but they're on parallel paths. And so they would never naturally meet. So we take people from different, different industries, cross-pollinate them over the course of dinner, uh, have them bring an object to share and tell their story. And sometimes these are framed up in different ways, sometimes to promote a cause. But ultimately, we become, the agency uh, and uh, those of us who host, we become the connectors to an interesting kind of diverse community on our own and an alumni base. That, that, that ultimately fuels connection and the ability to get things done and uh, do business together. But, but all through this, this kind of lens of drop the pretenses, tell us your story, tell us your authentic story. Um, and the more transparent you are about who you are, kind of what you need, um, the more value you can get from that. So we've done that uh, many times over in, in, in cities around the country uh, with a concentration of those, of course, in Portland, a little bit in New York, Chicago, um, you know, San Francisco, et cetera. Fascinating. And the first four minutes are, I, I really liked. You have them bring a momentum, right? Right. And they tell their story. So, so wrap that real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for instance, in one case, you know, we, we know that um, we're, we're a very tactile agency in that sense too. And even if you came to our offices, you would, one of my walls, for instance, is, is just, it's, it's got sort of a reclaimed wood look and, and feel. It's, um, and you'll find texture being a huge part of that. So what kind of makes it this entire human experience, we all have, you know, we all have mementos or things that basically are pivotal elements of our lives. The truth is we don't turn around and look at those things often enough as critical to our story, but many of us have those things. It's the reason why we don't throw away all the junk that we have. We come across something in a junk box and realize this, this thing, this poster, for me, you know, one of those objects was my very first campaign in sixth grade which was, uh, I won a poster, I won a contest for it and won $25. And it was strip cropping the nation, you know, strip crop the nation, a conserving sensation. That was my very first ad campaign. As a six <laughs> I love it. Um, I know. It was wild. It was wild. <laughs> that, I've never thrown away that poster nor that ribbon and, and the special experience that surrounded it that it set the trajectory for me and my path. Um, and I think, you know, one, one really powerful story someone shared, uh, and, he, and he runs a, company focused on footwear and giving. He brought the original sandal that inspired his giving when he was in, a, in, in sort of third world country. Um, and this was the sandal that, that was prolific in that area that ended up being kind of the, the purpose and the reason uh, that he got involved into kind of like a giving model around footwear. Um, that was very special. Um, some people will bring a book or something that inspired them or a journal perhaps. But um, it allows people to kind of focus their story around a particular object that, that trusted them forward in the world that gave them, you know, uh, part of their, their, their meaning and their purpose. Gosh, it's fantastic. I'm definitely stealing this idea. Um, I need to get on this dinner party deal. Well, well, Tim, I just, I found so many golden nuggets here. I have a ton of quotes and, um, I'm going to write out your three-step process and link it to the one that you have on your website. So if anybody's listening and they feel like they want to apply these principles to their business, to their life, to their nonprofit, to whatever they may be, maybe to your fam familial unit, um, you can reference these resources in the show notes. And uh, with that, Tim, I just wanted, you know, what do you want to close it out with? What, what is one thing that you want to leave everyone here with today? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'll say this too, and I think it applies to, to everyone. You know, sometimes I, I remind our um, our people in general that we just happen to be in the advertising and marketing world. That that you know, ultimately, we are stewards of of humanity. So we see ourselves very much linked to a larger world. So that means you know whatever whatever people are doing, um, I think uh, we see this. It, that, that idea of extracting your onlyness, this notion of being fully self-actualized, I think is a big idea in the world that is perhaps, that goes largely untalked about. And the fact that it can be, you know, we, we truly believe that people are brands on the individual level. Everyone, uh, everyone, um, you, know, it, you know, everyone is a brand because they, they have a brand, which is themselves. So um, I think from the larger stewardship standpoint, I think uh, one of the things that we're passionate about, I'd love to just leave with people is just, is to, to be unafraid to tap into the DNA of, of why, you, why you do what you do. And especially, and if you're on a trajectory, you know, whether it's in life or in business, that does not align with your origin story and things that most excited you, chances are the world has probably stripped you of some of your, um, some of your intent and purpose. And it's time to kind of like, you know, it's time for you to, to, to hunker down, you know, uh, stare at a window for a week and, and, and reassess that and be unafraid to make that life pivot despite stepping back a few steps Career-wise, um, you know, I've I've long admired people who who've stepped into our industry, even though they've been on another trajectory elsewhere. So, I say we do know that you know, according to our manifesto and, and, and the way we believe is like we want to live a life deliberately, and I just encourage people to do the same with with uh, with courage and sometimes be willing to to make the most courageous move possible, which is um, you know, to kind of tackle your most daring dreams, whatever that may be. I love it hugely. Uh, poignant. And I think if people take one thing away from it today, I hope it's, I hope it's that. So thanks so much for being on the podcast today, Tim. My pleasure. And thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you go running off there, did you know about the weekly resource we have for you at CodySanchez.com? It's called the Monday Slut. It's the shortest email that'll ever change your life. But seriously, it's all the best apps, productivity hacks, resources, and motivational butt kicks in one stop. Five bullets plus one quick how-to video from yours truly. So check it out. Link in the show notes to sign up and to get just that goodness each and every week. Until next time, my friends.